Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to Off the Bench with Benny Jones and Gary Belcher for First Choice Liquor for all your liquor needs. And welcome to Off the Bench. Great to have your company for First Choice Liquor. Another working week uh, goes by the wayside. Another huge weekend of sport awaits. It's Benny Jones is my name uh, alongside me, my trusty lieutenant, my left-hand man. Is that how That's right-hand man, isn't it? Left-hand, right-hand? Well, just say left-tenant. Either tenant. side. Left-tenant. Left-tenant. Left-tenant man. That'll do. Gary Belcher. Great to see you, Badge. Hello, Benny. Uh, well. been a, yeah, yeah. Been a good week, week of sport, hasn't it? We're having some, some great success. An interesting week. Uh, interesting week. If we're as talking well. tennis, yeah. Oh, it's always interesting when you've got those two knuckleheads <laughs> doing the rounds, <laughs> causing a stir. Yeah. Fortunately, they're out of the Australian Open. They didn't last you long. Know what I'm talking about. But they, they left a little trail of devastation in their yeah, way. As they always do. Burn Atomic and. Uh, could have been worse. Nick Kyrgios. They could have won. Well, it could have been worse. Around we, a bit longer. We could have no one to cheer on uh, across the uh, the weekend, and, and maybe, possibly, fingers crossed, into the second week yeah. of the tournament. Uh, Ash Barty, she's a little superstar. We love her, and, and you know Alex, Alex Dimonor is um, is is winning fans over yeah, left, right, and the centre. Way, aren't they? They, are, they are. Look, just just we'll, we'll we'll nip it in the bud off the top. The the Bernard versus Leighton versus Kyrgios versus Australian Sporting Public feud that took place very early on in the week. What did you make of it all? It oh, really look, started with Bernie. It's easy to just say oh, it's all Bernie being Bernie, being a knucklehead. Well, that's what Leighton said. And that's what he said. <laughs> maybe uh, not the knucklehead bit. It maybe put a bit of context around it. Leighton wasn't the most loved tennis player early in his career. No, he he wasn't. had some, some hissy fits. He said some stuff he shouldn't have said. And he yep. was a bit of a goose. But he did, he did eventually grow up and grow out of that. Um, well, but, he took the criticism on board and realised that he needed to pull yeah, his head in a touch. Right. But along the way... Yeah. You could never criticise him for not having a go, not giving his all. And he won some things. And that's the problem that I have with Bernie mm. and with Nick Kyrgios, that they just, they're just not out. They just don't train hard. They don't train properly for my money, in my opinion. And they'll probably never get the best out of, out of themselves. But then to lose, uh, and it just sounded like sour grapes, it Bernie. Did. Just yep. really, real poor for him. To sit there, poor body language, in your press conference afterwards, just being a smart ass and having a crack at late in here. Why? Why? Yeah. And and you know you're wondering why Leighton, why Leighton plays plays doubles after he's retired. He plays doubles Davis Cup as well, Bernie, because he can't trust you no. to actually have a go. If he looks over to his bench. He doesn't see neither Nick Kyrgios or Bernard oh. Tomic you know, chomping at the bit to get out there and represent Australia. They, Interesting one, but they yeah. want um, you know they want uh, I think tennis Australia sort of suggested let's get him together and have peace talks. Why do you need it? We'll just mm. never pick Bernie again. No, yeah. I mean, no one's going to miss him. He's yeah. not going to have a real go for us. Even if he does occasionally, he's long-term. You're not going to be able to trust that he'll be out there having a crack. Well, speaking of all things tennis, earlier in the week we caught up with Alicia Mollick, uh, you know, one, of our, uh, one of our real stars on the, uh, the tennis circuit through the early part of, of this century. Yes. Uh, 2005, I think she got through to a quarterfinal. Got to, was it eight, I think, top uh, ranking of eight in the world. Injuries, unfortunately, sort of curtailed mm. her when she was just about to really make her mark, but um, she is still heavily involved in the game. We caught up with her to talk about some of the future stars of the comp, uh, players that she thinks we should keep an eye on, particularly on the women's side of the tour. Uh, and also Mel Meninga will catch up with uh, Big Mel a little later on as part of our uh, Aussie Sporting Icon series of interviews, thanks to Red Energy. Uh, we had a great chat with Mel through the week, um, one of which went about 20 minutes, but it could have gone about well, two and a half hours. Yeah, 
yeah, just a stroll down memory lane. We yeah. had to, you know, you, you, there's time restrictions make it difficult when you've had talking to someone that's had such a yeah. a long and uh, and storied illustrious career. It's difficult to pay enough attention to each area of it. We're, we're going to talk a little, just a couple of little NRL bits and pieces about Justin Hodges, who's about to get into the boxing ring. And yeah. you told me off air, and, and probably unbeknownst to maybe a lot of listeners, Mel had a little crack at boxing. He had a, he had a couple of fights. The first one uh, I went and watched, it was a charity fight, and he yeah. fought uh, against Big Mark Wacko Jacko. Oh, Wack- Mark who, Jackson. Yeah, yeah, from the AFL. I'm who, an individual. It was a time when um, <laughs> the boxing stocks in Australia were so low that Jacko, like I'm not saying he can't fight, but he, he was the heavyweight champion yeah. at one stage. Because I don't think there was much else out there. No. Yeah. So anyway, Mel got in the ring with him, and um, and I know, and look, you, you, I don't know, I wouldn't, you wouldn't ever shape up to Mel. I just know no. everyone that knows him no. wouldn't shape because he's just, he's just got this amazing talent. And he's a big man, and he's quick. He's just got everything you, you wish you had as a sports person. Yeah. Before they fought, Trevor Gilmister was on the undercard, and Gilly said. He said, uh, I went past Mel and he was just sort of toying around, yeah. warming up and yeah. doing a bit of stuff and getting the, the arms bag moving. And, yep. and he said, oh, I thought I'd better fire him up here. So he said, he said I, I said, oh, mate, I've just heard some of the stuff Jack, that Jacko's saying about you. He reckons, <laughs> he reckons you're gonna, you will, will not yeah. last the first round. He's yeah. going to give it to you. Yeah. He'd made it all up, Gilly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And he said he walked away and Mel went, oh, is that right? But pretty unruffled. He yeah. walked away and he, and he just heard the bag. <laughs> it was like the bag wanted to leave the room. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was groaning. <laughs> Mel was just pummeling it. Yeah. And it, anyway, the fight started. I was in the I was in the uh, in the crowd. The, the fight started. I reckon it was about fifteen or twenty seconds in, when Mal whistled a, a punch past Jacko's ear, mm. and you saw you saw his eyes light up. Wacko <laughs> Jacko's eyes just lit up, and he thought, and you get, "I don't want to be here." What am I doing in the <laughs> ring with this bloke? And he, yeah. as quick as he could, it was yep. within about a minute or so, where he just took a dive. He just Mal. Heart, barely connected one with him, he just jumped All on over. the floor and said, "I'm done." I, th- I think there's there is some vision on YouTube. If you if you search in oh, yeah. the boxing, you, you will find it. So um, yeah, no, that's coming Have up. You a seen little that? Oh, yeah, I did. Do you think I've exaggerated? No, that? no, no. It's a pretty good description of, of how events unfolded. I would have thought. Uh, we'll stick with NRL just very quickly, uh, as expected. Gareth Whitup announced that he will leave the Dragons at the end of 2019 to head back to the UK. Uh, there was a little caveat in that agreement by the club that said, "Look, yeah, you go with our blessing, yes. but if you do decide to come back, that that's great. But you've got to." You're coming back via the Dragons. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so he's just pining to play back at home while he's still got some, uh, you know, some good footy in his legs. Warr- Warrington? Warrington. Yep, yep. Uh, a bunch of clubs over there were keen to get him. Uh, I'm not sure exactly which part of the UK he's from. He came out here as about a 16-year-old, joined yeah. the Melbourne Storms um, system, and but never really got to play at fullback because he did in the under-20s. I remember mm. that. Mm. But he had Billy Slater in front of him, so he yeah. was fashioned into a five-eighth, and then uh, then he made the move across to the Dragons when Steve Price was coaching there, twenty fourteen. Got him over there, um, and it's the same Steve Price who got sacked at the Dragons, but he's now coaching Warrington. Oh, he's right. got, yeah, he's, he's full circle. Yeah, he's uh, managed to take Gareth over there. So look, good on him. He's going to play this season out, um, and the, they've come to an agreement that he can leave. A little bit of news out of the Sharks too. Uh, Wade Graham was the the great news for them through the week, re-signing long term through to the end of twenty twenty two. I did see that their interim coach in Johnny Morris is. Obviously, come into the role with the back of the Shane Flanagan situations with the NRL that are still sort of unfolding. He said that though, if if it does play out that Shane Flanagan isn't allowed back, mm. um, he he's very willing to put the hand up for the the top job full time. Yeah, he has to state his case soon, mm. Shane Flanagan. That'll mm. be coming up in the next few weeks, I reckon. So yeah. we'll have an idea of whether uh, the NRL is um, 
you know, feeling uh, okay about the fact that he could come back, or they just sort of say, mate, that's it's not going to happen, or mm. come and talk to us in a couple of years' time. Um, I, yeah. I suspect that might be the case. Uh, the trial dates too released. I know these were sort of floated out in public a couple of weeks ago, but confirmed that uh, kicking off Friday, Feb 15, the Indigenous All Stars and the Maori All Stars, uh, they'll uh, get things underway with a women's and a men's game at Amy Park. Amy Park. Friday. Feb 15, the double header. Cool. Uh, on the same night uh, at St. Mary's League Stadium, Eels and Raiders will get their uh, pre-season campaigns underway. And then there's basically a uh, good 12, 13 games of trial matches yeah. leading up to round one. Every club has a couple. Yep. And then they have a, a week off uh, before the season proper. And oh, and the Roosters go over to the UK, of course, on the Sunday. The Challenge Cup. Take on Wigan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the comp is actually kicking off in the second week in March now. I yes. I think around the 12th or 13th. That sounds about right, yeah. And games going everywhere too, which is fantastic to see. One uh, being held in Geelong. Uh, so that's something a little different. Mackay are going to get a game uh, as Tamworth. well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got uh, the Bega Recreation Ground, the Raiders oh, okay. and the Bulldogs. Your Raiders are playing there. So, yeah, that's good. And that's what the trial period is all about, getting the game out to those regional parts. And some fans who are probably a little starved of top-class rugby league. So uh, we'll get those dates up on our Facebook page as well starting Friday, Feb 15. Uh, we are going to get to a break here, Badge. Mel Meninga next, Alicia Mollick later on in the program and what Badge is looking forward to in this weekend's Sporting Pursuits. We're doing it for First Choice Liquor and that is for all your liquor needs. You're listening to Off The Bench with Benny Jones and Gary Belcher for First Choice Liquor for all your liquor needs. Welcome back to Off The Bench. Great to have your company. Hope you're enjoying the program. Uh, still, we've got to find out what Badge is looking forward to this weekend in the world of sport. I might chime in with uh, something I'm particularly keen on as well. And uh, also going to catch up with Alicia Mollick talking all things Australian Open, a little bit about her amazing career and also how she's helping uh, to find, to locate and to nurture some of the exciting talent uh, that no doubt exists on the female tennis circuit, youngsters in rural and regional areas, all part of a great foundation which Alicia throws her support behind. So we'll do that shortly. Uh, but right now, as part of our Icons of Aussie Sport interview series, thanks to Red Energy, 100% Australian energy retailers, uh, who, of course, uh, just love getting uh, right behind all things sport and also just uh, talking about some of the great names across a number of pursuits, uh, whether it's AFL, NRL, A-League, uh, cricket, golf, tennis, basketball, it really doesn't matter someone who's made a huge difference, someone who's been an iconic name in their chosen sport. And a guy we caught up with through the week, well, when you talk iconic, that's probably selling him short. I'd better describe him as a mortal. I think you know who I'm referring to in NRL circles. He was a premiership teammate of Badgers uh, back in the glory days at the Canberra Raiders, but of course his career was so much more than just that. Uh, we had the pleasure of catching up with the great Mel Meninga, Let's have a listen to that chat right here on Off the Bench. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, so um, no, appreciate to be on the show. Obviously, a bit hard up for um, for acts, I imagine. <laughs> oh, here I am. Uh, Benny, you've sold him short by my calculations. Sixteen years, seven, well, in, you, seven in South in Brizzy, and yep. and nine in Canberra, plus everything else that uh, that the big fella did. It is it is tricky, Mel. But um, anyone who's come across you and played against you, but particularly with you, I think would agree that you've got this. Uh, apart from being naturally uh, gifted with size and you know athleticism, but you got this drive and determination about you about everything you do when you played footy and since. Where do you reckon that started? What what where, you know? Where did that part of you come from? Yeah, um, I don't know, Badge. I, I think I was I was always competitive at school. I mean, I didn't quite understand what competitive was, but 
always wanted to win, you know. So, I know that. And I used, to have, I used to have these tempers, you know, when I was a kid. I was, always remember having tempers and um, getting frustrated with you know, I couldn't win or, you know, things weren't going my way. So must have come from mum and dad, must have come from the genes, there's no doubt about that. I remember I went travelling back to my my roots, you know, in the in the, the Tanner Island, in the Vanuatu Island groups and got to understand a little bit about my family and, um, you know, being Australian South Sea Islanders, um, how dogged they were and how determined they were. So maybe I got it from way back there, maybe way back in my ancestral genes as well. Yes, yeah, survival of the fittest. I watched that show, mate. That was... Uh... That was fantastic. I came across you um, a couple of years after you'd already started at South in Brisbane. You went through the Police Academy, joined uh, the great South Magpies in uh, in Brisbane, won a couple of premierships and I think six grand finals in seven years. Is that is that correct? Yeah, you were most with me most of those. Yeah, I mean, of I never quite... Yeah, bridesmaids quite often, you know, um, unfortunately those seven years. So we did make six grand finals in that period, only winning two. So, but... I guess at Hollis, you know, in good stead, you know, we, we both went down to Canberra and, and um, we missed out in the first one, but, um, you know, certainly made up for it as the, as the careers rolled on. But, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, you know playing in grand finals is, is a great achievement anyway, so and coming second is not too bad. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's not much fun at the time, but when you look back at it, I suppose you made, you made plenty. One, one thing I want to touch on, Mal, is that first ever State of Origin game, mm. 1980. Do you, can you record your feelings? And I know it was your twentieth birthday, and most people know that. But what were your yeah. feelings before and during that, uh, on the lead up to it, and, and during that first ever ga- Origin match? Oh, God, I was, I was just happy. You know, I was happy to be there, and um, you know, I remember back as a while ago now that you know, I just had a big, big smile on my face. The ability to, you know, being the same team as Arthur Beetson, you know, Rocket Ready, you know, Roddy Morris, Johnny Lang. Um, you know, Wally was just still making his way in those years. Um, you know, Kerry Bostad was starting to form his career down in, uh, down in Sydney as well. Um, you know, it was just a, a great feeling. It was over, the camp was over two, three-day camps over a two-week period. Um, I roomed um, with um, with Rocket, I think it was, which was really good, you know, and Choppy Close was there, of course. You know, yeah. so we, we formed all these great friendships, but I remember... Just been happy, mate. Just been happy being there and run on the footy field and big smile on my face. And don't remember too much about the game, but mm. um, it certainly helped me from a self belief point of view. And you know, being part of that game and, and beating the you know the Blues for you know the first time in many many years. Now, years on down the track, we all understand uh, the significance, the importance of origin and just what it means to Queenslanders, uh, to New South Welsh people that uh, it's just, it's almost placed above, and maybe this is a perception from Victoria, that's almost placed above how your club performs through the season. It's how your state goes that really matters. Did you understand at that time in those early formulative years of origin just the significance that, that these games were creating across the two states? No idea. <laughs> yeah. No idea. The first you know, eighty, and then um, then eighty one is as well. So yeah, eighty and eighty one were you know another couple of just one game or two games, and mm. then it didn't really start till eighty two the three match series. So it wasn't probably till eighty two that we understood the significance of you know state of origin, the interstate battles that they were you know going to be forged in the future. You know, so um, and we were starting, we we're winning. You know, so we won eighty, eighty one, eighty two, eighty three. 84, you know, we won that series as well. So, you know, for, for a long period of time, and the thing about what people got to understand, like, the reason why the origin kicked off was because, obviously, the interstate 
footy was waning that you know people weren't going to watch it and New South Wales won it 20 years in a row you know prior to prior to 1980 as well so for for us Queenslanders um you know mentally underdogs all the time but all of a sudden over a five year period we you know we're winning winning state of state of origin games and you know interstate games so I mean uh, it, it held you know Queensland treated seriously I guess and then it wasn't until 85 and the Blues you know started to get I guess bit more serious with um, the series, the concept, and um, it's become a battle ever since. But along the way as well, you went on four kangaroo tours. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do you have a special memory or, or you know, a stand-up memory from each of them? Like, What, what would be the, the, the biggest thrill about being there as a 20-year-old in uh, 19... Or what was it, 22-year-old, 1982, and then each, yeah. each time you went? Uh, there's always special moments in, in all those tours. Obviously, you know, get picked in the test matches as... That's the key to it all. Yeah. Um, Eighty-two, you know, playing at um, in Hull, first ever Test match on on foreign soil for me. You know, I um, mean, in, in the national side, you know, it was terrific. We end up, you know, thumping the the Great Britain side, so um, it was a very remember, memorable one. I, I think um, scored a, I scored a try and kicked about seven or eight goals in that game, which is you know terrific. And which is below par 80, for you, actually, quite, bit below par for sorry. you. <laughs> it was pretty good in a test match, mate. <laughs> uh, first ever overseas, so it wasn't too bad. 86, uh, a little bit disappointing for me. Um, I didn't quite make the run on side. So, you know, the centres were Brett Kenny and Jim Miles at that time. Yeah. I was on the bench as the, um, as the you know, the, well, there's going to be backs or forwards. You so played a bit I in the forwards played. then, didn't you? Yeah. I did. I, get, I got picked in the third test match against uh, Great Britain at Wigan Central Park in the back row. So yeah. that was my first ever test match in the back row, so it was memorable. So I still made the, the national side, but not in my favourite position. And then obviously 90 and 94, where you know, I was the captain of the, of the footy team, and you know the memorable, memorable ones were obviously 90, it's the second test at that Old Trafford where you know, Ricky made the, the break and you know, passed inside and managed to score to win the, to draw the, the series at that stage and went on to win the third one, 14-0, which is the first time ever that the straight or Great Britain side has ever held a nil in a test match. So that was fairly significant. And then 94, obviously, my song, song you know, being part of that, captain the side, and again, losing the first test. Um, but then, you know, playing a part in the you know, second and third where we won the series and won the Ashes. So, I mean, it was great fun. You know, I enjoyed those experiences. But, yeah, I mean, I'm lucky I managed to survive, you know, over a long period of time, you know, uh, and had the ability you know, to keep up my form to you know, play in the, the, the national side. Yeah, well, when you put it like that, there's no surprise that you were named an immortal finally early this uh, or late last year, actually. Um, and a lot of people had sort of expected it even, even sooner, but no surprise at all after such a long career. Mal, you decide to get into coaching um, it, it, with your, uh, your beloved Canberra Raiders in the 90s, the late... <laughs> 1990s. Um, wouldn't say that was your most successful stint, but no. what did you learn, or what did you take from that when you decided to jump into mm. coaching again with the Queensland side in the what in the 2006? I think it was. Yeah. Um, well, sort of. I was there. I was sort of last man standing you know, for the race, and I was no approach me, and uh, Machinzi was going so from the club. So, um, you know, in the back of your mind, you you always wanted to try this. You always wanted to have a crack and. Uh, and like you said, it wasn't that successful. Um, made the finals, you know, about three or five years I coached there. But at the end of the day, I made the decision that um, 
I need to go back and study. So that's probably the thing about about you know what I did from a coaching perspective. I learned a lot about yourself and about other people and how to man manage people and you know how to handle things, how to negotiate. But then I went back and studied and did a business management degree, um, you know, postgraduate degree, and um, learned a lot out of that and applied that to you know the rugby league learnings and stuff. It, it, and you know when the Maroon job come around, well, you know, I think we're all sitting together and watching the team, you know, fumble, I guess, and, you know, get, they'll beat quite comprehensively at, at Suncorp Stadium. Yeah. Um, the third game, I think it was, you know, in 2005, and it's always been a person badge where we don't complain about things, you know, you're, gonna, you're better off trying to help fix it and find solutions, so I, mean, I put my hand up, yeah. and lucky enough, um, you know, I got the gig, but I let... I got the gig on the back of, I think, um, you know, all those learnings I had through the, those five years I was at the Raiders as a coach and all my experience as a player and understood Origin really well. So, um, yeah, it, and it worked out you know, perfectly mm. for me. I can't complain. It was, it was a great mm. time. And then, obviously, fortune unfolds and then so many great players starting to emerge, you know, in that, through those, those formal years, that 2006 with the Cameron Smiths and... Jonathan Thurston's, Billy Slater's, you know, Greg Inglis's, you know, how good how good a talent pool that was. Oh, and then yeah. you know, Darren Lockyer was still there with Petro and Steve Price, you know. So, I mean, yeah, I come through in a lucky lucky period as well because all, all of a sudden all these great players, you know, were putting on the Maroon jersey. Yeah, and Queensland fans, very thankful for the role you played there on those eight series uh, wins in a row, Mel. Then you go from taking sort of the cream of uh, the the crop from a state point of view to the cream of the game overall, coaching the national side. And from afar, people probably sit back and say, well, you've got the absolute elite. So, you know, it's probably a pretty cruisy gig, but there'd be challenges in it, no doubt. <laughs> what have you found the most challenging aspect of coaching the Kangaroos? Um, well, the expectation, weight of expectation yeah. that you're going to win every time you put the jersey on. That's the, that's the thing, you know. So, um, but we're going through some transition at the moment as well. So, you know, under you know, England, under the tutelage of Wayne, tutelage of Wayne, you know, so they've got their act together and they're playing some really good footy yeah. and they managed to beat the Kiwis. Then they got Michael Maguire, you know, taking on the Kiwis. They got us in a test match at the back end of last year. So all of a sudden, international programs become really competitive again. And then the really good thing about international footy is the emerging of, you know, teams like Tonga and I think Samoa can be, be really strong down the track and certainly Fiji, who made this, the semi finals of the World Cup. and you know, just to actually help expand the game on a, from an international sense. And I, I just think that um, it's such a great game and um, we love it so much that we can utilise, you know, international games to help promote the game around the world. I mean, that's you've got to have a dream. You've got to have you know, dreams about you know, where you want to take the game. So for me, I'm in a very fortunate position. I'm, yes, I'm coaching a great footy team and the expectation of winning is, is strong, but to also be involved in national calendar and tried to expand our, our great game into you know different frontiers yeah I mean, we all know we we believe just what a great game rugby league is but there's still so much potential on that on that bigger market the worldwide market and that just that little bit of growth we saw with the world cup in 2017 uh, well maybe maybe it was it was bigger growth than i'm giving it credit for but the way tonga performed and and got the crowds you know when they were in new zealand and it was uh, it was just wonderful to watch yeah, well, the international, you've got to, you know, they're in a room. I mean, you're looking at the Pacific Islanders. I mean, they make up something like, you know, 38% of the population, the players that play, you know, mm-hmm. whether the Tonga, Samoa, Fiji, you know, Papua New Guinea, 
mm. um, the Kiwis, you know. So, I mean, um, it is, a, for a sense, you know, a lot of Englishmen coming over as well. So it's become, it's become a multicultural type of environment, you know, a bit like the EPL, I guess, over in, in England. You know, it's a really strong competition where everyone wants to, to prove themselves. So um, I could only see that market growing. I could only see, you know, obviously the strength of Pacific Islanders becoming stronger. Um, and then utilising international footy to help the game. So they, they might criticise and go into the States, but we've got to expose our game. It's not about you know, getting big competition in the States. It's about you know, showing our game um, to the Americans and you know, non-American TV just to give them an option. They may like it. We don't know, you know but you've got to try Absolutely. Hey, Mel, uh, very generous always, as always, on this program with your time. Uh, so we do thank you for that. A nice little walk down memory lane looking at some of your great moments in rugby league. And no doubt there's still a few more to come. Thanks, Ben. Got your badge. Cheers, mate. So what an amazing uh, icon of sport Mel Meninga is and an absolute pleasure to speak with him through the week. Uh, we're going to talk to another pretty prominent sports person, this time in the field of tennis, Alicia Mollick, next here on Off the Bench. And we're doing it for First Choice Liquor for all your liquor needs. Stick around. You're listening to Off the Bench with Benny Jones and Gary Belcher for First Choice Liquor for all your liquor needs. Oh, indeed. Uh, what a great establishment that is, First Choice Liquor. Uh, and I've no doubt there'll be plenty of our listeners flocking there across the weekend or in the build-up to it as they get set for a big weekend of sport, whether it's one day as Big Bash Tennis. Uh, what else have we got going on? Oh, there's some A-League, some basketball, plenty of overseas sport. And uh, we'll find out exactly what Badge is looking forward to this weekend as well. Hey, but speaking of the tennis, uh, well and truly into full swing, the Australian Open down there at Melbourne Park. Sweltering conditions too for players to contend with. It's just par for the course at this time of the year, isn't it? Uh, and there's been plenty of talking points, uh, some good, some bad from an Australian tennis point of view. But it's always great to see the absolute elite, the stars of the show, in action on our home soil in what is just a very, very popular Grand Slam for players, supporters, and also TV viewers alike. Uh, we caught up with a, a lady who's had a great uh, storied history at the Australian Open uh, and also had a wonderful career in her own right, reaching the top 10 in the women's field uh, back in, I think it was around 2005, uh, but is still heavily involved, whether through the media, Federation Cup coach, and just nurturing the next generation of talent in Australian tennis. I'm talking about Alicia Mollick, and we were fortunate enough to catch up with her a little earlier on in the week to get her thoughts on all things Australian Open, Australian tennis in general, and a little walk down memory lane on her career as well. Let's take a listen. Thanks very much um, for having me. Yeah, it's an exciting time for tennis this month, the Australian Open, of course, but um, really excited, though, about the prospects of, I think, a really good group of Australian women who have, I think, some fantastic mm. chances, this Australian Open in particular. Yeah, we're going to ask you about a couple of those shortly, Alicia. And uh, I mean, Christmas was just a little under a month ago, but this is Christmas for tennis fans in Australia. We've had, obviously, the Sydney International, Brisbane, the Hopman Cup, of which you've had a great history with as well. But the Grand Slam, the first of the new year, and it's a... It's such an exciting tournament. The elements come into it, but all the big names are out here. And as you said, some uh, young Aussies that are on the on the way up. Yeah, it's look, it's, it's exciting for our, I guess, our younger players. We've got a really good group of, of players just beneath those, such as Ash Barty, Darry Gavrilova, and Sam Stoza. Um, Kim Birrell is on the court um, presently, or takes to the court very soon. Ellen Perez. Up today, we've got Astra Sharma also, who's in her, uh, I think she's 23-24 at the moment, who is playing in the main draw. She qualified, in fact, which mm. is quite an incredible task, um, qualifying at the Australian Open. She played for almost three hours the other day. 
So I think we're finally seeing a few more players break through, and I think that's largely led by, I think, our women at the top. Once one breaks through, it's so much easier for, I guess, the momentum to keep um, carrying through. But it's a really exciting time for us as a whole. And you have to say on the men's side as well, with Alex Simonor coming off his Hmm. win in Sydney, Ash got to the final. Shame she couldn't get over the line, but um, it was a wonderful week nonetheless. We're um, really proud, Alicia, of what Ash Barty's been doing of late, especially when we compare her to a couple of our petulant male players. But she had that break away from the game. Would you ever advise any young players, or you know, do you think that was really a really important part of her finding herself and finding some success? Well, I think um, personally it was a huge positive, and I think she is where she is right now in her career, in terms of her career and level because of it. Um, and I think, you know, Ash was very... It's a different course for every kid, but I think for Ash, she was very successful, very young. You know, at the age of 15, she'd won Junior Wimbledon. That's, um, you know, that, that's three years, that, three more years that she had to play the event. With that then comes more opportunity, more speculation, more media attention, and all the while, yeah, she loves tennis, wants to, wanted to become a professional tennis player, but, you know, really was only in year nine or ten at the time. That's, um, you know, that's a lot to take in as a kid, and I guess the level of maturity required at that age, she was already travelling four or five months a year. You know, in a sense, it's quite unusual, um, I guess, an unusual path for a kid so young. Yeah, but she's doing extremely well now, isn't he? Now, now, isn't she? I just want to talk about players home and away and some seem to handle the the pressure of being at home or love being at home and playing at home and some don't so much and I'm kind of referring to Sam Stosa who just seems to have struggles back here in Australia. Have you been able to put your finger on exactly why? Uh, not exactly but I think for Sam by, by her own standards she I bet she wishes she has would have performed so much better over the years but if I can talk about one player who's probably the most professional in the sense of the way they go about their tennis taking care of every single detail Sam is that person Mm. Um, and if there's one person deserving of success it's Sam but you spoke earlier about playing at home in front of crowds and at Melbourne Park um, during the Australian Open there's a whole different set of pressures and players everyone wants to perform in front of their home crowd and you become, as a player, I can relate because you get desperate to perform well in front of everyone. You want to please everyone. You want the crowds to have something to cheer about. And look, sometimes that, that pressure can almost be too great where where you're not able to produce your best tennis. It's, it's very different going overseas and playing possibly in front of crowds that aren't willing you on so much or, or, or yourself putting, I guess, more expectation and more spotlight on your results. So it's been difficult for Sam. So let's hope... <laughs> Yeah. At this stage in her career, that she can she can feel a sense of success in playing her best. Mm. So, I think that's important for her too. The results don't matter, but I think if she went out there and played an incredibly solid match in the way that she wanted to execute, I think that would be a huge success for Sam. Yeah, and a hugely successful career she has had. Alicia Mollick joining us here on Sports Day. Alicia, I want to just ask you about the uh, the Fed Cup Foundation and obviously your work in conjunction with Red Energy, uh, and this is all to do with Australian women's tennis in regional and rural areas, uh, really spreading the gospel of, of what a great sport it is and hoping to obviously unearth as you've touched on some of these future stars that will follow in the footsteps of yourself and Sam and obviously right now Ash Barty. Tell us a bit about the foundation and um, some of the work you do with that. Yeah, well, it's, um, it's important to me, not just, I think, uncovering the next, 
um, talent, yeah, that's a wish and that'd be a big tick. But I think to to, un- to discover that type of talent, you really have to present young kids and juniors, in particular young women and girls, with a lot of opportunity. So mm. that's what, um, in particular, this week, it's happening at Tiong, the Found- Foundation Cup is all about. It's about bringing juniors together, putting them in a competitive competitive environment. The more exposure they have in those environments, the more it points to them, not just remaining in the sport, but I guess the positive outcomes of competition. So that's what I'm passionate about. And also, I, t- I guess I take the stance being a woman and, and knowing the pressures of um, young female sport, um, body image, that type of thing. It's it's something that I'm right behind and I'm very, very passionate about kids, not just being exposed, but having the mm. chance of opportunity because um, it certainly promotes their interest in the sport of wanting to compete. Alicia, just a couple before we let you go, and we'll obviously get your picks for the, the men's and women's titles at the 2019 Oz Open. If you don't mind, a little walk down memory lane ever so briefly. The 2005 run you had, and I remember it fondly, like a lot of Aussie tennis fans riding every bump. You beat some amazing players on the way through to that quarterfinal, and oh, I think from memory it was 9-7 in the third against Lindsay Davenport. Just an amazing sort of week and a half that you had. You must remember it really fondly, and how important was that home support uh, through the tournament that helped you produce arguably the best tennis of your life? Uh, well, I guess for me it was, uh, yeah, I remember that summer distinctly because it was not just my best summer, but um, it was the summer of still playing on green courts, no Hawkeye, believe yeah. it or not. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and rough calls go two ways. But I remember that summer is probably the one and only ever in my life that I genuinely felt that I could win the Australian Open. So mm. that's a, a pretty special place to get to, but... I worked my whole life um, to, I guess, experience that feeling. And, you know, I, I felt like I was building up to that my whole life. Yeah, I wanted to do well at other times or mm. make the second week. But that particular Australian Open in 2005, I actually believed I could win the Australian Open, which was a really significant mm. step for me. Genuinely, yep. I felt that. I was on the road to that. So um, it took me a lot of time to learn to play in front of the crowds here too and just really embrace it and enjoy it. And it all sort of culminated in the perfect storm that summer for me. Yeah, unfortunately, you, you cop- was it just after that you got injured and you're out for a fair while? Yeah, correct. But that's look, that's a sport. I have mm-hmm. great memories. I'm probably thankful I played in a um, pretty uh, great era in terms of players: Davenport, Conchita Martinez, Moresmo, you know, Hennen, Clusters. The list goes on and on. So it was a pretty rich, uh, rich time in tennis. Yeah, it sure was. And what about the um, the heat they're playing in at the moment? <laughs> this poor, yeah. this poor bugger. So I guess you, that wouldn't bother you too much when you're doing that. Hey, um. Just, just quickly before we let you go, uh, winners in the men's and the women's. Steve, have you got one or two for us? Ah, oh, gosh, you mean in terms of winning the event? Yes. Yeah. Oh God, I, I just have to go back to the favourites. You know, <laughs> um, Roger's shown he can. He's proved it with his form at the Hotman Cup. I was there watching him up close and personal. It was as good as I've seen him play. Yeah. So I don't think you can go too far past him. And on the women's side, I just think it's so open. But I think what Serena has driving her is the fact that her daughter, her husband's in town and she wants to win um, for her family. She was pregnant this time last year um, during the Australian Open. I think now that her daughter is on the road with her, it's pretty special. She wants to win for her. So it's much more difficult, I think, to pick on the women's side because it's very even at the top, even from the ranking of 10 to, to 30. Every single player is a genuine contender. Did I answer your question? I didn't give you much there, did I? No, you did. But do you think Ash Barty has a has a chance, or how far do you think she she's likely to go? Well, she's proven already, Sydney. Mm. You know, she beat Halep, number one in the world, and some quality wins in terms of 
Mertens, Burton's, she only just missed out on beating Petra Kvitova. But yeah. um, Ash is capable. Absolutely, she's capable of anything. So, but you know, it's it's. Um, wanting to do that well here is, um, you know, you have to sustain so much over two weeks, and that's the puzzle that I guess everyone or her team around her is is trying to make sure that they put in place so she has that opportunity. All right. Well, Alicia, we really appreciate your time here on the program as a Red Energy ambassador and, of course, Red Energy looking after the Foundation Cup, the not-for-profit organisation who support and promote women's tennis in Australia is the Fed Cup Foundation. And Alicia, doing some amazing work there in the media as well and with the next uh, raft of Australian tennis superstars. So enjoy the next couple of weeks. Stay in the shade because it's going to be pretty warm and we'll, uh, we'll look forward to seeing how Aussies fare over the next fortnight. Will do. Enjoy the tennis. So wonderful to catch up with Alicia Mollick, uh, an absolute star in the uh, early part of the of the 21st century and, uh, of course, got so close to maybe getting through to a, a semi-final or even a final at that Australian Open in 2005. Just fell a little bit short before injuries took over and, unfortunately, uh, derailed her career when it was probably at its absolute peak. But she was good fun to watch and uh, a great competitor as well. Uh, we'll take a break here on Off the Bench. When we return, Badge will tell us what he's pumped up about this weekend. There's plenty to sink our teeth into, into the world of sport. And we're doing it for First Choice Liquor for all your liquor needs. You're listening to Off the Bench with Benny Jones and Gary Belcher for First Choice Liquor for all your liquor needs. Oh, what a show it has been. Uh, a bit of a walk down memory lane with Mel Meninga uh, talking the current state of Australian tennis, particularly the women's side of things with Alicia Mollick and uh, a bit of league news getting around as well. Uh, only one thing left for us to do, Badge, thanks to First Choice Liquor for all your liquor needs, and that is to... Open up these cans of whoopee. Whoopee? These beer. Oh, beer. Oh, well, wait till, you, wait till you finish up. And then There's I'll... been a few people in Australian sport opening up cans of something <laughs> uh, this week. But uh, yeah, no, let's, let's just find out. Um, actually, if you don't mind divulging, well, you've got a really special week. I've got a special weekend planned too. It's a wedding anniversary for me and my wife, four years of wedded bliss. That's what you meant to say, isn't it? Wedded yes. bliss. Yeah. Yes. Well, mostly in case four years listening. of it. Uh, but just, you've, you, you're, you're hitting... Well, I don't even know a where country you're race heading. track, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of a picnic race, country New South Wales, yeah, yeah, uh, annual event at a little town called Deepwater. Never heard of it, but uh, I believe no, it's there, and yeah. I hadn't until about three years ago either. <laughs> it's south oh, of Tenderfield, so a- northern New South annual Wales. Annual pilgrimage you've now decided you'll make. Uh, yeah, the, we've well, we got day? we've got yeah. a friend, uh, some friends out that that own a have a farm nearby and invite yeah. us out. We're in heavy, really, really serious drought out there. Yeah, in fact, of course, so, yeah. They're pretty concerned, but they're still um, happy to go ahead with it this year. Try to get a bit of joy in the, their lives. And Deepwater's just a little uh, little country town. It's got a it's got a pub. It's got a racetrack. Is it a, it's got a couple of dirt, it's got a dirt little, racetrack or grass? Grow, turf. Do you know? Uh, you remember, you, I can't remember. No, you're looking through your sober eyes. You I think it's to... grass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there won't be much grass on it. No, I was going to say. I expected there'd be a drought. Yeah, that, and and sort of great sort little of, spot. What sort of numbers? I mean, rough idea of numbers. Oh, I think was, a few thousand there come from far yeah, and raising money. Sounds for the community amazing, and yeah. it's, it's just one of those um, annual events that every little town yeah. has or should have, and just brings everyone together. Birdsville's one of the ones oh, I'd love to get to at some stage, sort of a bucket lister. But that the, the one you're heading to just what you say just near Tenerfield, south of Tenerfield, south of Tenerfield sounds amazing. So enjoy yeah, between- that. Tenerfield and Glen Innes. In between your uh, your pursuits there, Badge, what else are you looking forward to in the world of sport? Oh, look, I'm just I'm really enjoying the tennis, you know. Yep. Um, and I'm, I haven't been into it the last few years, but you know, it's it's just proven to me it's because we've had uh, pretty poor Aussie contingent or performances, and yeah. now we've got some some real um, some contenders. I wouldn't say dead set contenders for the title, but we've got a few that are. 
going to be pushing for quarterfinal berths yeah. and, and more. Yeah, no, I, I've really enjoyed the start of it too. And, and, and look, I know we say it, we've seemingly said it the last few years is the maybe, it's just maybe the last chance. Look, we think it'll be probably the last we'll see of Andy Murray. Uh, Rafa Nadal has already hinted at retirement. Roger can't go on forever. So these sort of guys that are still out here competing, um, enjoy them while we can because uh, we might not get another opportunity. I feel, again, we've said that with Roger about the last five years and he keeps winning the bloody tournament. That's keeps it. coming back. That's what Badger's looking forward to and whatever you, our listeners, are looking forward to this weekend in the world of sport, we trust you'll enjoy it. Uh, it's been our pleasure keeping your company for the last hour. Again, Mel Meninga, Alicia Mollick, wonderful guests through the week. This has been Off the Bench Badge. You have a great weekend at the races. Enjoy. I will. And more responsibly. You have a good weekend too, Ben. And we'll Happy catch anniversary you. again. Thank you very much. I'll pass that on to the lovely one. Uh, we'll catch you same time next week here on Off the Bench.